It's podcasting time. I am Jonathan Isaacson, and this is Just Another Jerk, Dispatches from Japan, the podcast where I share you my thoughts about living in Japan and, well, a lot of Japanese history, because I like history. Subscribe to the podcast in all the usual places. Please rate the show, maybe give it a review, and share it with a friend. Have you shared it yet? No? I'll wait. Go on, go on, you know, press pause, send a link to your friends. I can wait. I mean, this is a recorded medium, so I can wait literally forever on your iPod. Who uses iPods? Well, I use an iPod. You don't use an iPod. You're probably using your phone. I use an iPod. Anywho, today's is a, it's a shorter episode today. Largely because I want to get this story out in a timely fashion. So, if you couldn't tell already, this episode is another episode in the Everything You Never Wanted to Know About Japanese History series. So, let's go! September 1st, 1923 began pretty normally in the greater Kanto area. Um, the Kanto area, so think Tokyo, surrounding areas, right? Yokohama, Chiba, those areas. The Kanto area was experiencing stronger than typical winds on this day due to a major typhoon off the coast of the other side of the country. Japan, it's, it's a pretty narrow country, so a typhoon in the Sea of Japan will cause wind in the, on the sea, uh, Pacific side as well. But, you know, it's summer in Japan. Typhoons really, you know... Pretty much par for the course. The Sunday morning passed pretty much normally, right? As the clocks reached 11 o'clock in the morning, kitchen hearths were readied to prepare lunch. Being 1923, many, I, I mean, I would dare say maybe even most homes, still used open flames to cook. As the noon hour approached, Nearly every home in two of the country's largest cities, I mean, well, every home in the entire country, but for today's story, two of the largest cities, Tokyo and Yokohama, right, those are two big cities, nearly every home, they were just about ready to put lunch on the tables. Suddenly, minutes before noon, the earth began shaking violently. This was no ordinary earthquake. Japan is, of course, located on the Ring of Fire, and as such, it is one of the most seismically active countries in the world. Small earthquakes, you know, magnitude 2, 3, even up to 4, those occur literally every day somewhere in the country. Larger earthquakes, fives, even getting up to magnitude six, those are also incredibly common. But this day, September 1st, 1923, was different. This was a violent shaking, and it was causing the immediate collapse of hundreds of buildings. There was a British ship, uh, the SS Dongola, I I, I hope I'm saying that correctly, the SS Dongola was anchored off the coast of Yokohama when the shaking began. The captain would later record in his notes, 
At 11.55 a.m., ship commenced to tremble and vibrate violently, and on looking towards the shore, it was seen that a terrible earthquake was taking place. Buildings were collapsing in all directions, and in a few minutes, nothing could be seen for clouds of dust. When these cleared away, fire could be starting in many directions, and in half an hour, the whole city was in flames. Contemporaneous reports noted somewhere between 4 to 10 minutes of strong shaking. Officially, the shaking began at 11.58 a.m., literally minutes before lunchtime. The epicenter of the earthquake was in a a town in western Kanagawa Prefecture. Um, If you look at a map, it's not far from its modern Odawara city. Um, So it's over... Near Hakone, if you know where the Hakone Ekiden uh, very famous race goes. Um, But it was in that area. At the center, this earthquake registered a magnitude of 7... Well, not the center. The magnitude was 7.9. At the center, on the Mercalli intensity scale, which measures surface movement, some areas registered an 11 out of a possible 12 in terms of the violence of the ground movement, right? So this is extreme. That's the the actual label. It's 11 extreme. A level 11 shaking means, and I'm going to quote here, few, if any, masonry structures remain standing. Bridges are destroyed. Broad fissures erupt in the ground. Underground pipelines are rendered completely out of surface. Out of service? Out of service earth slumps, and landslips in soft ground. Rails, as in railroads, rails are bent greatly. So this is a massive earthquake. And unlike a lot recent earthquakes in Japan, like the, the, the big one 10 years ago, that was out, the one 10 years ago was out under the ocean floor. This one, the epicenter was under actual Japanese land. So, despite that, despite that this this is not an undersea earthquake, there was still a 12-meter tsunami that struck parts of Kanagawa, Shizuoka, some of the nearby islands. Landslides raced down the hills, sweeping entire communities, as well as a full train, train full of passengers and a train station out to sea. The shaking was so violent that the great Buddha at Kamakura, which is an enormous bronze sculpture statue, right? The the great Buddha, it weighs more than 120 tons. This earthquake moved it 60 centimeters, two feet, right? And due to the timing, literally minutes before lunch, the cooking fires in nearly every home very quickly turned into a great conflagration, right? That that quote that quote I had from the captain of the Dongola. The day's strong winds from the typhoon on the other side of the country literally fanned the flames, making the fires spread much faster than they might have in calmer weather conditions. The conditions were what they were, and soon firestorms were being whipped up causing the tarmac of streets to melt. 
Many people trying to flee the devastation got stuck in the melting streets. Their feet, their shoes literally got stuck to the streets. And they died in the firestorms raging through Tokyo and Yokohama. In the worst case, nearly 40,000 people had fled to the army clothing depot um, in the Yokoamicho district of Sumida, Tokyo. Unfortunately, the fires continued to rage all throughout Tokyo. And at around 4 p.m., a fire tornado ripped through the clothing depot, burning some 38,000 people to death. The fires would rage on for a couple more days, right? The earthquake had ruptured nearly all water mains in the area, making firefighting nearly an impossible task. In all, more than 100,000 and possibly 140,000 people lost their lives in the earthquake and subsequent disasters. And this is, you know, nothing, and I'm not even mentioning the massacre that followed because I'm not going to get into this today. Um, I will cover this topic in more depth very soon. I promise this may, maybe the next, uh, maybe even my next episode, we'll talk about this, but following the earthquake, anti-Korean sentiment got the better of a lot of people in the Kanto area. Rumors of ethnic Koreans taking advantage of the situation for financial gain uh, rumors of wells being poisoned, you know, lots of other baseless rumors led to the deaths of, at an absolute minimum, 231 ethnic Koreans at the hands of Japanese mobs. That is the absolute minimum number. The highest estimates I've seen were 10,000. It's probably somewhere in the middle, but even at the absolute low end, 230 one ethnic Koreans were killed by Japanese mobs due to baseless rumors, right? And again, I'm not going to talk about that in more today, but the riots, the police crackdowns following the earthquake were horrendous. Um, I definitely like to say I will talk about this very, very, very soon. Maybe even the next episode. We'll just see how much time I have, but it's it's an interesting story. Not Japan's finest moment, obviously, um, but it's an interesting story to talk about. We'll come back to that. Just put a pin in that. Follow the podcast. We'll get there. Also following the devastation of the earthquake, members of the government, some members of the government, proposed moving the capital of the country elsewhere. Though I was unable to find where... Um, I don't think these proposals got very far. I think it was shot down pretty quickly. It was decided, however, that Tokyo should be rebuilt as a more modern city, a city that reaffirmed traditional Japanese values, because, yes, there were plenty of people who thought that the earthquake was some sort of divine retribution for Japanese people becoming more immoral and self-centered. Hmm, that record sounds kind of familiar, but yeah, um, following the 1923 earthquake, Tokyo was rebuilt into a truly modern city for the time. 
obviously with some seriously mm, effed up ethnic, you know, ethnic cleansing. Let's call it what it, let's call it what it is. Um, ethnic cleansing going on. Uh, but that did that got swept under the rug at the time. I won't do the same. I promise I will talk about the massacres following this earthquake soon. I'll get there soon. I will get there during summer break. I've still got another week and a half. I will get there. I promise. But anyway, by the time the Second Sino-Japanese War, which is the war that later morphs into the Pacific theater of World War II, by the time the Second Sino-Japanese, by the time that's in full swing, Tokyo is a thoroughly modern city. And then it gets leveled again by carpet bombing in World War II. Which is why by 19, you know, the 1970s, 1980s, Tokyo was this super modern, futuristic almost city. You know, it had been leveled and rebuilt twice in only a few decades. But now, here we are, 2021, when I'm recording this, Tokyo is no longer this super hyper modern city that it, you know, that's a lot of people still have that image of Tokyo. It's not. Trust me, it's not. Come, come visit Tokyo. You'll see. It's not. A, it's no. It's no longer this hyper modern place, right? Certainly, that was the image when I was a kid. Tokyo. It's a wow. You know, think Akira. Think you know that kind of stuff. That's not Tokyo today. I mean, if you want to see, you know, these these hyper modern places. I mean, even Shang. I mean, Shanghai to a certain. But even at this point, Shanghai is less and less that. But Shanghai, Kuala Lumpur, Singapore. Um, pretty much any of the Emirates in the UAE, right? Those are the places that are the super modern places now. That, that I mean, uh, that was Tokyo in the 1970s, 1980s. Not anymore. But yeah, 98 years ago today, as this podcast is released, Tokyo was shaken by one of the worst disasters in modern Japanese history. But it bounced back. Albeit with some real ugliness showing his head, um, you know, I, I I feel like I should you know there I should have some big lesson in a story like this, but I'm not sure what exactly it should be. Um, I will just that's the story, and I will leave you to ponder what the big lesson is uh, on your own. And that is where we will end the story of the Great Kanto Earthquake of 1923. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever it is that you get your pods. Uh, the podcast is available on most major platforms. Um, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora. We're on Amazon Podcasts now. Um, maybe some others. I mean, some people use some off, kind of off-brand podcast uh, apps and whatnot. It's on most of them. Um, if it's not on your favorite platform, let me know. I will look into getting it on that platform. And you, yeah, you can find the Twitter for this podcast at just another cast. You can send an email to the show to just another jerk podcast at gmail.com. And you can find all that information on the website, which is tinyurl.com slash jerkpod. That's all for me. I'm Jonathan Isaacson, and I'm out. Peace.